thank you for joining us for this podcast from Abundant Life. We pray that you will be blessed and encouraged by this word. Now, here's Pastor Scott. We're going to read the word and let God be about it as he's our teacher and our guide this morning out of St. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. I'm going to read uh, 12 verses, which is a lot uh, for us typically, but I want you to follow along with me this morning in Matthew, chapter 5, verse 1. The Bible says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I got the most bland title of any sermon I've ever preached in 30 years of preaching. You ready for it? The Highway to Happiness was the title of last week's sermon. But because I didn't get done, I'm going to throw this at you. The Highway to Happiness, part two. (laughs) Hallelujah. Let's pray. God, thank you for laughter. You said it does our heart good like a medicine. God, bring healing is my prayer today to our emotions, God. Bring healing to us spiritually, physically. God, I pray that you'd heal us from the top to the bottom. God, not just as a cliche, Lord, but that our minds would be regulated, Lord. That our hearts would be filled with hope and love and joy and righteousness and peace. God, I pray, Lord, that you would bless our children and our nursery and our workers working and preaching and ministering to young people across this campus this morning, God. And Father, I pray that you'd bless this time now as we look to your word. Father, I pray that you'd anoint me by your spirit, God, to say things that would honor you. Lord, you are our king, and we are here for you and because of you. So I pray that you'd teach us from your word by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. The book of the month that we're wrapping up this month, and man, I don't know about y'all, but my kids and I have fully agreed that 2016 is on fast pace. 2016 is like, it's just moving. And the book of the month for September has been Matthew, and hopefully you were able to read through Matthew this month. You still got a few days left to do it, but we've been reading through the book of Matthew. We've been talking a lot about the kingdom. Of God, and t- talking about Matthew six thirty three, probably one of the most famous verses in the book of Matthew, and it says, "But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you." In the teaching in Matthew chapter six, which is part of the same sermon that our text is in Matthew five six and seven, those three chapters contain the the message commonly referred to as the Sermon on the Mount which is just, I don't know why, short for mountain, why they can't say that. They try to confuse you and make you wonder what a mount is. But it's the Sermon on the Mountain. Jesus sat beside a mountain, and he taught. 
And in verse 33 of chapter 6, Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He had just given a list of things that we need. Food, clothing, shelter. We all still need those things. 2,000 years after Christ left the earth, we all still need food, clothing, and shelter. And we concentrate on those things. Why? Because that's where the biggest piece of our bills come from. Paying that rent, paying that mortgage, buying clothes, eating, especially if you eat out. Listen, eating out is no joke. Eating out, hey, I'm going to keep going. I eat out too much. I could talk about that for a long time. But people were concerned with the natural. Say natural. natural. Bills, stuff, life. Jesus said, if you seek God and his kingdom first, all these other things are going to fall into place. And we honestly, without people exaggerating, we could honestly pass the mic around the room and listen to person after person this morning give honest witness and honest testimony that God did things for me that I couldn't have done for myself. That God stepped in and fixed some stuff for me. When I put God first, stuff started falling into place with less effort for me. Because we can either swim against the tide and row against the current and try to get to where we need to get to. Or we can turn the boat around and, let, and row in God's direction and let him help us get to where we got to go. Is anybody following me? Too much swimming upstream in Christian lives. Too much rowing against the current. We got to get our priorities in the right place so God can help things to fall into place. But I've been talking to you for the last few weeks about kingdom because everything Jesus preached, he preached about kingdom. If you do a word search of kingdom, you're going to find the gospels just have this word through and throughout this word and concept of kingdom. And I've told you when Scripture talks about the kingdom of God, it sees the kingdom of God as a duality, two different things. It sees the kingdom of God as a present reality and a future hope. A pres- it's something that's now and something that's coming. It's something that's already here, and it's something that we're hoping to come in the future. Sadly, when most people think about what God has for them, They think about heaven, and that's where I get that same old speech I hear all the time when I ask people, how you doing? Well, Reverend, I'm holding on, ready for the Lord to come back, waiting on heaven, waiting on heaven. That's cool. That's awesome. The fact that you know that God is coming back, the fact that you know you will transition to heaven one day is our hope. That's glorious. That is amazing, but you ought to have Hope not just for then. See, that's pie in the sky and the sweet by and by when the reality is every one of us needs some help in the nasty now and now. Can anybody say amen? Amen. I mean, I thank God for pie in the sky, but I truly need some help right now. And the kingdom, as the scripture unfolds, it is a, a, a future hope for sure, but it's also a present reality. Jesus said when you line your mind up right with the Father that the kingdom is among you because the kingdom is in you. So the scripture teaches that the kingdom of God is any place where God is ruling and God is working. The kingdom of God, see, because God has commanded us to be in his kingdom. Uh, what was the man's name? Ron Cannoli, when he was with uh, Integrity Music, he sang a great song, Don't You Want to Be a Part of the Kingdom? Yeah. 
come on everybody. And it was, it's the concept that Jesus taught that we need to be in God's kingdom. Well, how do you do that? You get your mind and your life in reality, not in words, lined up to where God is ruling in your situation. I'm going to keep telling you because it makes sense to me and I want it to make sense to you. Your car can be the kingdom of God if God is ruling in your car. Now, if 50 cent is ruling in your car, can we talk? What's wrong with 50? If you really need me to answer that for you, then I just want you to print off all the lyrics to five of his songs, and I want you to read those. I want you to take them to a nursery, a daycare center, and I want you to ask anybody, can I read some of these poetry to some of your four-year-olds today? No, we don't want to do that. Okay? If your car is a place where God is at work, where God is ruling, He's not ruling if we're not submitted to him, if we're not recognizing his. Your home. Your home can be a place where God is ruling, where God is at work. Now, you know, if your house is the spot on the block uh, that stays hot, it might not be where God is at work. It might be where the devil's at work, uh, but that's, a you know, it is what it is. A kingdom is anywhere where God is. See, every church is not really actively walking in God's kingdom. Because some churches are being ruled by the preacher. I see these, these blogs and stuff people put on, on the internet and social media. And they talk about how church ain't nothing but a one-man system where everybody's sucking up to the man and bowing down to the man. I'm thinking, well, I know some churches like that, but we, we ain't that way. Ain't five people in here know what my birthday is because this church ain't never bought me anything for my birthday. I see these churches doing these pastor appreciation weeks, giving preachers cars and trips to Aruba, Jamaica, Bahama, come on, pretty mama, and all these other places. I'm like, that's not abundant life. We're too busy trying to, you know, pay for bounce houses for kids to come have a good time in and to hear the gospel. Y'all not helping me. But we, we, church can be part of God's kingdom if God is ruling there now there's other churches where you know so and so family don't hate don't hate if you're a Johnson I'm not picking on you Keon but uh Adaris but that's just a common name there are churches where the Johnson family ruling the Smiths the Walkers because they hired him and they, they hired the preacher and they fired the preacher and they chair every committee, and they're, they're, they're the, fam, the, pow, the family, the power family. Oh, well, you got to keep them happy. You know, if Sister Johnson don't go along with it, we ain't going to be able to build that new daycare. They teach in seminary. Find out who the power players are in your church. Present your idea to them for advice. Let them act like they thought of it and let them present it to the church because if the Johnsons sign off on it, it'll get passed through. Can I present to you in a church like that? God is not ruling. The Johnson family is ruling. All right? We got to make sure in our life, in our car, in our relationships, in our church that God is number one, that God is in charge 
and that we are subjugated to God. We are submitted to God. We, we, are, we are not bowing down to anybody else. We're not bowing down to a system. We're not bowing down to a denomination. We're not bowing down to a preacher. The Bible says you're a fool if you trust in the flesh because only God can be our source and our supply. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. We want to be in a place where God is ruling and a place where God is at work. I am confident, confident that this church is a kingdom church. I am confident that this church is a kingdom church. How do I know? Because I've been in this church when it was a one-man band. I've been in this church where I was the drum major, and if I wasn't beating the drum, nothing was going on. I've been in this church where I had to be the, the janitor and clean the bathroom. I've been in this church when I was the one working the tape system on a one-to-one tape duplicator, printing out the bulletins, folding them, handing them at the door, patting people on the back, kissing babies, hugging necks, and begging people to come back next week to hear me preach. That's not real church. That's not what God had in mind when he invented the church. God had in mind a bunch of people coming together under the equality of we're all brothers and sisters in Christ serving the same God. My job is to teach the gospel. A group of people showed up yesterday to help a family out. We got people doing different things in different ways. It's not about one person and one human being. It's about one man whose name is Jesus. Amen? So I'm convinced that abundant life is a, a kingdom church because God is ruling here and God is at work. I thank God as I meet with the staff every Tuesday and we discuss things and we, we look for ways uh, to, to honor what God has called us to do here, to transform our world by the power of God's love. That's what we're here for, to transform our world by the power of God's love. And we talk about how to make that happen in our staff meetings on Tuesday and I get updates and reports from the staff and Our after-school program is growing. Our after-school program has got new kids coming in, and I'm just excited about that. Because, listen, if you don't know, you need to understand. Now, the church is closed on Monday. I got got to give people some time off. you, you, You work people too hard, you run them out. The church is closed on Monday, but Tuesday through Friday on school days, we're open from 3 to 5 in our community center Three to five offering free snacks, free drinks, free computer lab, free help with homework, free love, free care, and free hope for any child who wants to come by and get that. I believe that churches need to be doing stuff like that. If every church had, you know, 10, 15 kids in a neighborhood coming there where they were getting love and hope and encouragement, where they were learning how to read, going from F's and D's to A's and B's, can't you see how the world would be a better place? Amen. Pray, pray for what God is doing. God is at work. I told you in Matthew 5 through 7, those are the chapters that contain the most famous sermon Jesus ever preached. Um, it doesn't talk about how to get saved, though. It's not a discourse on how to become a Christian. It is a message on how to live as a Christian. He tells what the kingdom is all about. And he, he presents a really different picture than what the Jews were looking for in a Messiah. Jesus comes along, and he is a Jewish man, and he's living in a Jewish city. Now, they're being oppressed as slaves under the Roman occupation, and the message of the Old Testament is very familiar to the people that Jesus is talking to, the people that he is preaching to, and their whole mindset, 
for thousands of years has been. We might be under now, but God is going to send a deliverer. We might be on the bottom now, but God is going to send a Messiah. And this is the real message of the Old Testament. We may be slaves and on the bottom right now, but God is going to send the Savior, the Messiah, the anointed one, and he is going to be our redeemer. And he is going to reestablish us as the seat of authority. He is going to put the throne back in the center of Jerusalem and sit on the seat of our ancestor David and rule the whole world as a Jewish man over the whole planet. And one day we we, we might be here now, but one day uh, we're going to rise up. One day uh, God going to send somebody and that's they were believing that for thousands of years and then here comes Jesus and he says I am he and his disciples start telling everybody this is Messiah and they're like dude out of Nazareth and nothing good ever come to that part of town carpenter's son he ain't even got no he ain't even a preaching boy he ain't a prophet or the son of a prophet. And they start telling that Jesus is the Messiah. And then he starts doing miracles, and he's doing stuff nobody's ever seen before. So they're like, he is. It's like the, in the Matrix. They finally get it. You are the one. He is the one. What's that boy's name? Neo. I knew you were the one. And so they finally start accepting that Jesus is the Messiah. But then he sits down in his largest audience to teach to this point in Matthew chapter 5, and he presents a very different picture than what they were looking for. They were looking for political salvation. They were looking for economic salvation. They were looking for justice. They were looking for the enemies to be put under their feet so that they could have butter and cheese and a life full of ease. And we're in a political climate like that right now. Too many people want God to be the type of God they want him to be. You got these, you know, rich churches where everybody dresses up. Nothing wrong with dressing up. I put on half a suit every now and then. Uh, but everybody sits quietly and just takes notes and nobody gets excited. Nobody shouts. And, you know, I'm not mad about that. I see y'all taking notes. That's good. Amen. Read them sometime. Don't just take them. That's free. Ain't no sense in writing down notes if you ain't going to go back over them. I'm just saying, hallelujah. Message free online on the podcast. Get your notes out and go back over it. But those churches typically are filled with people who want a very quiet, dignified, you know, sophisticated God. The pastor speaks about the similitude of Christ and the veracity of the propagation of the gospel. And they reflect as they consider and remunerate on how they can best facilitate those things that should not ever instigate. And then they clap quietly and they go home. And that suits their personality. And then you got other churches that don't even feel like it's church unless everybody's sweating and they get their dance on and, and I just came to praise him. Hallelujah. I just got to give it. Hey, hey, hey. Yeah. 
church to them. I saw, and I don't watch a lot of church, but I did see something yesterday. I saw a man <laughs> came across my news feed, and this dude for four minutes and 11 seconds, because I was watching, this man bowed his back. had a great voice, though. I'd do it, too, if I had a voice like this. He bowed his back, and for four minutes, four minutes and 11 seconds, he said one word, freedom! 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 And he, I mean, everybody postured every inflection he could. And that was church. And that was the church that the people there wanted the church to be. I heard this morning a man addressing his congregation as I present to you my fellow gods and goddesses, kings and queens of our great ancestry, that we are the rulers of the whole world and that we are the gods on this planet. Right here in Jacksonville, meeting at a local hotel. And that's what church is to the See, they want a militant. God. Some people want a quiet, sophisticated God. Some people want a militant God. Some people want a God of economic empowerment. Some people want a God of social justice. Some people want a God that will let them into heaven no matter what they do or how they live. Everybody's trying to make Jesus who they want Jesus to be. And that's why we need to read the Word. Because the Word describes to us who He is. And Jesus presents in the Sermon on the Mount what the character of his kingdom's followers really looks like. And he starts off in chapter 5 with this passage that we call the Beatitudes. And it shows us the character of citizens of God's kingdom. And Beatitudes loosely means the blessings. It comes from a Latin word which means bigger than happiness. Okay, it's an extra happy. It's a, it's a God-sized happiness. Listen, I want to be happy. I want to be happy. Uh, I found out that the older I've gotten, the, the heavier I take things. Anybody else? Change gets harder. Go through enough stuff, you get, get upset about it, lose enough people, get done wrong enough, see enough injustice in the world, see, see enough hate in the world. That stuff can start to wear on you and you can hold it. Anybody other than me? Okay. Well, I'm just trying to be honest with y'all. We're not here to play church. We're here to, to be the church. We're here to try to help each other and grow closer to God. But... This, this group of sermon, uh, verses that Jesus is speaking right here, these words that he's saying are designed to help bring real happiness. See, because we need to be happy. God created us to be happy. Happy comes easier for some people than others. Happy comes easier. Happy comes second nature. Some folks just sit around and laugh all the time. Other people are like, it just ain't that funny. You know, and you maybe fall somewhere in the middle. And I want you to know God wants you to be happy. It's not selfish and it's not wrong. Every father that loves their child wants their child to be happy. Don't be so deep and so heavy that you can't find happiness. You need to understand happiness can be found inside of following God. So we got this set of verses we call the Beatitudes. Eight different ways 
quality characteristic to be happy. And every one of these beatitudes consists of two phrases, a condition and a result. And that's what makes them cool. Every one of them has a condition, and every one of them has a result. I want you to know we all have conditions. Every one of us, are, we have conditions. You, you don't have to go to the doctor to find out what your condition is all the time. I can tell you what our condition is today as we look at the Word of God because all of us fall into these passages. Each one of these conditions is something that the Old Testament lays out in depth. So the people Jesus was speaking to, they understood these conditions very well. When Jesus talked to them and he talked about these phrases, poor in spirit, there's all kinds of passages in the Bible in the Old Testament that talk about that. When he talked about mourning, it was very common teaching from the Old Testament. So he let them know what the condition was, uh, but then he brought greater enlightenment as he teaches them what the result is. So the Sermon on the Mount starts with the Beatitudes. It gives a picture of the character of God's people, those who are part of the kingdom that can have the access to full blessing. See, being saved means you get to go to heaven when you die. But if that's all getting, being saved gets for you, you're missing out on everything God has for you today. And I believe I'm going to go to heaven when I die, not because I'm a preacher, not because I did my best, not because I give to the church, not, not because, you know, I, I try to live by a certain set of rules. None of that will get you to heaven. The only way you get to heaven is by having an active, true, ongoing, real relationship with God through faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ, as the only payment for sin. That's the only way. It's about a faith thing. It's not about a, a, a rules and regulation thing. It's about a relationship thing. But this passage of Scripture describes the blessings that we can get now. See, I don't want to just get to heaven when I die. I want to live a good life now. Somebody say now. That's why our website is Abundant Life Now. Jesus said he wants you to have abundant life then when you get to heaven, but he also wants you to have an abundant life now. Don't just be hold on struggling now. Learn how to have dominion. Learn how to have access to all the great things that God has for you. In verse 1, he said, seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. So they're about to have teaching. Jesus is about to sit down, and he's going to teach. And all the disciples come. you got thousands of people gathered around. Verse 2 says, Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. One of the things I love so much about the Bible is we have what I believe to be the actual recorded words of Jesus Christ preserved for us inside this book. So I can set my eyes on the words that he spoke because the words that he spoke are powerful. And he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So the condition is being poor in spirit. And the result is the kingdom of heaven. So you got to be poor in spirit to get the kingdom of heaven. And last week, I talked to you about what it meant to be poor in spirit. Get the tape. Go online. Listen to it for free. We got the new website up and running. Hallelujah. You, you can get it on your podcast. Download it automatically. But to be poor in spirit is the first thing on this list. And there's a reason it's the first thing on this list because I've taught you for years that the Bible typically follows patterns and principles. There's structure to the Word of God, and one of the patterns is the law of priority listing. Every time the disciples are mentioned in the, in the Gospels, the first four are always the first four. 
and the last four are always the last four. There's a priority to the listing of what is most prominent. And in this list of eight Beatitudes, the first thing listed is poor in spirit. And it's not talking about being financially poor. It's talking about knowing that on the inside of me, I don't have nothing that God needs. I don't have anything that God needs. God didn't save me because I was special and his kingdom needed me. It, we we got to understand with the hymn writer, no, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. And we got to have that mindset that it's not about what I can offer God, it's about what God can offer me. And if we don't get the first things first, then everything else is not going to fall in place. But the condition is being poor in spirit. The result, if you really understand that and you live that out, is that you get the kingdom of heaven. The second beatitude we see in verse 4 he said blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted so if you look on the screen and you take this word right here mourn and you put an ing on the end of it ing on the end of the word mourn then the condition would be what mourning so the condition of God's follower is a condition of mourning the characteristic of a kingdom disciple is mourning. And for those who live inside that condition, they get a result or a benefit or a promise, and the result is that they shall be what? All right. I'm always going to try to get you to understand inference because when you read the Bible, I want you to get what it is saying. If I tell my sons to sit up, you better sit up or else. Well, I didn't explain or else. And me and them, I don't even have to get to you better sit up or else. I just get to. It's a whole lot inferred with that look in my house. A whole lot. I don't have to say all them words. Stuff was inferred. Well, in any written or oral communication, much is inferred. He said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Okay, well, let's just see how brilliant the people of Abundant Life are this morning. If you don't mourn, guess what you don't get? Your life's miserable. You're sad. You're upset. Things ain't going right. Why? Why? You live in a why? Why? Why me? You live in a I don't understand. You live in a I don't get it. You, you live in a pain. Whoa. You, you, you got that hee-haw reality going on. Y'all know? My mother forced me to watch certain things as a child. And I'm like, can't I just go to my room and sleep? And so I don't know if it was every day. It seemed like it was every day. It might have been a weekly show. I don't know. I didn't pay attention that much. But that hee-haw mindset, what, what, what did hee-haw teach America? Gloom, despair, and agony on me. Deep, dark depression, excessive misery. If it weren't for bad luck. What in the world? Huh? Gloom, despair, and agony on me. If it weren't for bad luck, I had no luck at all. If you live in that hee-haw reality, you need to understand you are not mourning. You're just complaining. 
complaining. Blessed are those who complain, for they shall be. That don't say that nowhere. So I'm not even going to give you a falsehood on it. It's in for complaining. This isn't for woe is meing. This isn't for pining away in your problems. This is for people who mourn. Not what we believe about mourning, but what the person who spoke this believes about mourning. What Christ believes about mourning. If we fit the condition, we can get the result. But we got to fit this condition of mourning because you need comfort. Here's the reality. If truth be told, God has not comforted us to our level of satisfaction. If God had comforted us, our nation would not be in the unrest it's in right now. People would not be hurting so heavily right now. People would not be on edge. We would not be living in a powder keg environment. You realize people who are comforted are not just ready to go off. There's a wind-up period before normal. Now, if you just go from, you know, hallelujah, hallelujah to cuss you out, you need medication. All right? Get one of them personalities and keep them. But get rid of the rest of them. If we were comforted as God's people, we wouldn't be living in the turmoil and the hate and the anger. We wouldn't be living in the, I'm just ready to go off next thing I hear. It doesn't say, blessed are you when everybody treats you right and all things go well for you because you'll be comforted. You don't need no comfort in a situation like that. When life is bad, when there is obvious problems, when injustice is so rampant that you just can't hardly think about it without crying or being angry or wanting to go throw something, you can cry, you can get angry, you can go throw something, you can burn something down, you can hate your neighbor, or you can mourn. We don't live in a nation of mourners. We live in a nation of people who want to get theirs out. I'm going to be heard. They're going to hear me. Listen, I am not against anybody. And I believe, and I hope it's well understood, that from the founding of this church and the following of my lifestyle, the people that are closest to me in the world ought to be able to tell you and know beyond a shadow of a doubt when it comes to Scott Becker, it is unquestionable that black lives matter. That's unquestionable. Not a a doubt about that on the planet. I could go row by row in this this room right now as I'm looking up and down every row, and I could get somebody on every row in this room right now to testify how I showed them that my love mattered, that their life mattered to me. But listen, I ain't for shooting folk. I'm not for riot. I'm for peaceful protest. I am for peaceful protest. I am for the right to protest, but I ain't for the right to shoot folk. Nothing good. Dr. King told us, you, you, you can't cure hate with hate. You can't stop violence with violence. And this, 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 this situation that we're in right now, people are so ready to go off because they haven't been comforted. And we need to learn how to get comforted. The Bible says so when we get comforted, 
we can go and comfort others with the same comfort God comforted us with. We got to get fixed. We got to respect each other. We got to respect each other's differences. We got to admit injustice where injustice is. We got to admit that systems are broken. We got to admit that people are being harshly discriminated against. We got to feel for each other's situation without rising up hate, anger, and indifference. I'm glad five people can agree with me. We do not live in a nation where people are comforted. We live in a nation where people are ticked off. We live in a nation where people are ready to be heard. We live in a nation, and hear me, I am not against anybody's movement. But it doesn't mean I agree with everything that's being said. And there's nothing, there's nothing worse and nothing more damning than having the right standing on the side of right, but doing it in such a wrong way that it cannot be received. Because then you just kill your own message. You destroy your own hope of being heard. The threat of no justice, no peace, is anti-Christian. I understand. Being ticked off. I'm 53 years old. A lot ain't going to write for me in my lifetime. I can show my kids will let you know. Dad can get there. But that's not the Christian in me. That's the me in me. I understand. If you mess with me, I'm going to mess back. That's not the Christian in me. That's the me in me. And I'm supposed to die to that in me. No justice ought to create more prayer. Things not right ought to create more mourning. And listen, if you line up and you tie up with a crowd of people that says, we've been praying and it don't work, then please throw your Bible in the trash can and stop talking about Jesus because you have given up in hope in the only person that can truly bring you help. I understand frustration in prayer that doesn't come forth. I've had my own children ask me, Dad, we prayed for Mom every day to get healed, and she died. When's this praying going to work? I've had my own children live in my own house say, Dad, we pray for your back every day, but anytime you, you do three minutes worth of work, your back is down for another, another week. When is this prayer going to kick in? I understand the frustration of praying for stuff that you don't see happening, but I'm never going to get up on believing, give up on believing that God can do more on His cause than angry people can do on their cause. We got to get to a mourning situation, not to an anger situation. We've got to get to a mourning situation, not to a violent situation. We got to get to a mourning situation, not a I take it in my hands and rebel situation. Because that's when comfort will come. You can choose to say, well, all them people that chose nonviolence died in, in jails. I'll tell you this right now. God's my witness. I'll tell you the truth. I lie not. I'd rather die in jail, incarcerated, being treated wrongly by my oppressor while honoring God and walking in my integrity than die in a gunfight trying to make my case heard out in the middle of the street somewhere. 
There is honor in living what you believe without stepping over the laws that God has given us against hatred and against violence and against murder and murdering someone in your heart by the words that you say about them. And I'm not telling you what I heard. This is a reality for me on a daily basis. Everybody's calling for lines to be drawn. Everybody's calling for riots to happen. Everybody's calling to, it's time to rise up. Well, where did the Christians rise up? I've been talking to Deacon West about this for over a decade. What are we going to do, Henry? They throw it down and they're like, all right. All the whiteies come over here, and all the brothers come over here. Where, where are we going? And we already decided. We make our own crew. Because the people of God need to be a crew beyond everything. The people of God need to stand together no matter how much they try to divide us. The people of God need to stand together no matter what the people of your color or your political party say about you. You ought to have a connection with the people of God. You ought to have a love for your brother and sister in Christ that supersedes your skin color. You ought to have a love for the people who claim the name of Jesus more so than what these fools on television go try to tell us and make us tear each other up because God is still in charge. Hallelujah. We are committed to God beyond our anger. We are committed to God beyond our understanding. We are committed to God beyond our frustration. We are committed to God beyond thousands of years of injustice and oppression. And everybody cannot say amen to that. Because some people are tired. And one, one person said it this way. I'm just sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm ready to put my foot somewhere. I get it. But it ain't Christ. And it's not the lasting answer. You are not going to cure hate with hate. You are not going to stop violence with violence. You are not going to get forgiveness through unforgiveness. You are not going to reconcile anything through the force of human will. We are in such a horrible position as a country. We are so messed up as a nation. Our systems are so broken as a nation. That if God himself does not do something, then there is no hope at all and everybody should just give up and move out the country. But that ain't what the word told us to do. You want to be happy? You want to comfort so you can comfort people? You want to be able to put an arm around somebody that lost somebody? You want to be able to put an arm around somebody who can't get a job because they were put in the system at 13 years old and has never left? You want to be able to really help somebody? You got to get healthy. And that anger ain't healthy. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. You read this news and you get mad, you need to ask God, Lord, forgive me for my 
emotions right now and help me to see bigger. Mourning. Don't sound right. I would never look at my kids and say, here's what I want y'all to do. Why don't you clean your room up? Why don't you get some breakfast? Why don't you read your proverb of the day? Then I want you to go sit in the living room and mourn for about an hour. That's not no thing I want my children to do. That don't sound right. It's not how we, it's not how we live. It's not what we do. But the Jews of this day, they understood because the Old Testament was so full of verses about mourning. Mourning such a, a concept of God's kingdom. In James 4, verse 8, the word says, Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Come close to God, James 4, 8. Thank you. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. When you throw the gauntlet down and you say, I'm tired of all this praying that don't work. I'm tired of all this forgiving. I'm tired of being the one. I'm tired of getting stepped. I'm tired of seeing this, 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 and this. And you stand up to go do something else, you have already violated the first four words of this command. Come close to God. And God will come close to you. This is the answer. This is the answer. And it may not work in our lifetime. It may not work in our lifetime. And I know y'all get tired. I've had people tell me, you're for Jesus more than Dr. King? Yes, I am for Jesus more than Dr. King. I can't help who impacted my life. They didn't impact your life. That's, you got your story. I got my story. I'm 53 years old. I grew up in a different time than some of you grew up in. Okay? I, I am for Jesus over everybody. But, but I, I want to tell you something. I, I, I was so, so touched and, and have remained so influenced by many of the words that Dr. King spoke. And when he said that he had a dream that one day this country would rise up and to really live out the garbage that he had been hearing his whole life would become a reality. Where one day in Mississippi and places like Jacksonville, Florida, where, where little black boys and little white boys would walk hand in hand with smiles on their faces and love. We've been seeing that from our kids were babies. But it still ain't where it needs to be. And Dr. King prophesied it of himself. He knew that his time, God had already showed him he was leaving. That didn't take him by surprise. Listen, listen to what he said the night before. He knew they were coming for him. He, and he said, I, I, I may not get there with you. I might not see the America that I'm believing in. Now, better people than us lived right, believed right, and held on and, and fought the right way. And they didn't get to see it all. How are we going to be so tired that we're going to give up on love, peace, hope, prayer, and the right way because we ain't seen it in our lifetime? And we had better people than us died in the fight but we want to change the fight because we don't like the score. We got one textbook. We got to do it the way the book says do it. Come close to God. You want to assemble? You want to, peace, you want to peacefully protest? That's, that's, your, that's your right. Listen, people need to stop saying it's your God-given right. God didn't write the Constitution. God ain't got nothing to do with the American Constitution. Bunch of people wrote that. 
And I'm tired of hearing people say, I'm tired of, I heard Colin Kaepernick say that when this America gives me the God-given rights that the Constitution promised me and my people, God didn't promise nobody nothing through the Constitution. Don't be mad at God off three-fifths of a man. Don't be mad at God about Jim Crow laws. Don't be mad at God. Don't, don't, don't put God and the Constitution in the same breath. We only got one book, and it ain't the Constitution. I don't take no rights from the Constitution because they could burn that thing. They've already proven they don't love it, and they don't live by it anyway, so it didn't mean less to me than it means to them. Y'all get me to get in my flesh. Listen. Protesting is not your God-given right. Actually, that might even violate some stuff God will have you to do. But if you want to go out and peacefully protest, that's what inside the laws of the United States of America. But if you're going to go out to do rebellion and violence and hurt and harm, then you're not going to get the promise of what happens when you come close to God. God will come close to you. This is what we need. We need a coming back to God. We need a coming back to God. We need, we need to put the hate down. We need to put the guns down. We need to put the I'm going to take it into my own hands mindset down. We need to put the I'm sick of this going on down. And we need to come close to God. Not only that, but he says wash your hands. You realize everybody that's talking bad about another group of people, they done done so much dirt in their own life. I saw a man say the other day, what is wrong with a group of people that, that, that call themselves Christians that, that all they want to do is throw up the, the sins and the atrocities that other people have done to them but while believing that God has forgotten and forgiven all their sins? You can't let go of nobody's sins over here, but you sure glad God let go of all your sins. Listen, we need to wash our own hands. And then just for extra punch, you sinners. That's us. Purify your hearts. He's talking to Christians in this passage. Purify your hearts. For your loyalty is divided between God and the world. You have people in here living and dying on Fox News because you think Fox News is telling a different story than CNN News. They might be telling a different lean on it, but I don't care how CNN tells it, and I don't care how Fox tells it. I don't care how NBC tells it. I care how God tells it. Because every one of them groups are puppeteers trying to manipulate the minds of the masses. They're toying with us. They're toying with us. They're trying to get hate and anger and violence. They're trying to tear us up. They don't want us to come close to God. They want us to come close to causes. They don't want us to come close to God. They want us to come close to our anger. Because they know if we ever came close to God, God's going to come close to us. If we ever wash our hands, then God is going to shine on us. Let me get through this. Our nation is hurting. There's no, no secret about that. The sad news is the divided sides of this battle are certain that they are all the way right and the other side is all the way wrong. Certain that you can't believe these lives matter unless you stand against those lives. 
All lives matter to God. And I'm not saying that in a, and you've never seen me hashtag all lives matter. I understand that there needs to be an awareness drawn to the fact that black lives matter when it's put into people's face all the time that they don't. I'm not saying all lives matter in, in a capacity to that. I'm just saying that in a theological context. But when it pushes you to hate somebody, you need to understand you have been controlled beyond your faith. You have been manipulated beyond your faith. When you watch peaceful protests of decent people carrying signs that say Black Lives Matter and not burning anything down and not rioting and not shooting any police officers, but you get mad and you get angry just because they're out there holding up signs saying that, you have been manipulated and you have let your anger bring you outside of your faith. How's that hurting you? How's that hurting you sitting in your subdivided home? Because somebody's standing on the sidewalk with a sign that says Black Lives Matter. How's that hurting you? But people get mad. See, this, 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 this is the kind of stuff that keeps abundant life from growing. But somebody got to stand up and tell the truth. This is the kind of stuff that somebody can get up and leave. He's too sympathetic for them. He ain't on our side enough. Man, I'm standing on the word of God. All the way. Right down the middle. And we got to come close to God. Why? Because every part of the hurt, every part of the manipulation, every part of the issue is all a distraction from the enemy. He wants to wrap our minds up in stuff that ain't about God. Want to wrap our mind up in sports? Want to wrap our mind up in entertainment? Want to wrap our mind up in music? Want to wrap our mind up in, in hobbies? Want to wrap our mind up in hate? See, the devil don't care what you wrap your mind up in, as long as it's not God. The devil doesn't care what gets you distracted, as long as it hinders your Christianity. Because I'm going to tell you this, black lives don't matter to the devil. And white lives don't matter to the devil. Brown and yellow lives don't matter to the devil. Interracial lives don't matter to the devil. They do matter to God. And these things that take our mind off, I'm going to close with this. And I should have took the offer first because ain't anybody going to really want to give after I tell you this. <laughs> All the emotion that these manipulators want to put in your head about something happening hundreds of miles away from here, when we got problems in our own neighborhood, what are we doing? What are we doing? We want to get so angry, and, and, and I hear people just, I can't leave the house this morning. I'm so upset. I'm crying. You're so upset you're crying over some stranger from half a country away? Miss Melvis buried her baby boy this week, and, 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 and uh, you know, I thank God for the people that showed up to the funeral, but wh where, where's all the hurt for that? You want to hurt for total strangers across the street? You can't take five minutes to hurt for somebody that sits inside your own church? That's a distraction from the devil, and he is destroying our mindsets, and he is putting our mind on the wrong thing. You don't even know about the pain that's going on in the person that sits on the same pew that you sit on, but you're going to get pissed off watching some TV show about somebody you don't even know. 
You shouldn't have to ask, is he mad? Yeah, I'm mad. I'm mad that we've been punked. I'm mad that we played so easily by the devil. I'm mad that we're so distracted and so wound up so quickly on causes that really do not come nigh our door. Passed a friend of mine from around the corner, put on his Facebook the other day. I have a teenage black son. I'm scared for him to walk outside right now. I didn't write him, but I know, I know his situation. Son's been walking to school the whole 12 years of his life. Living in a nicer neighborhood than mine. He never had a problem day one. But you're going to let this attack to your mind. Or if I let my son out the door, the, you know, 7,000 clans have been going to run up and grab him. I'm not saying the injustice isn't there, but when you let it creep into your mind so much that you're worried about, can you walk to your mailbox without, you know, a gang of black people jumping you? When's the last time a gang of black people jumped you? Never. Okay. Well, I just feel better if I keep my purse closed. When's the last time some black person stole from you in church? Never. last time you you walked with your child to the mailbox and had to dive under the bushes because here they come in them sheets and hoods <laughs> when's the last time someone in your family or one of your f- close friends lost a child that needed your help when's the last time that somebody in your church was going through something that they couldn't see their way out of and they needed your shoulder. When's the last time you showed up and put your arm around somebody to say, I'm here for you and I love you. And I don't understand it with you either, but I'm with you. I'm not saying these issues happening all around the country don't deserve attention. I'm not saying these issues happening all around the country don't have to have an answer. But what I'm saying is when they distract us to the point of hate, anger, and violence, to the point where we miss bringing comfort to the people in our own families because we're so wound up about what happened 800 miles away, where we miss bringing comfort to our own community, I just think that's a system of getting played. The Bible says that righteousness got to start first in the house of God. Holiness got to be here. Comfort has got to be here. Coming close to God has got to be here. Washing our hands has got to be here. Purifying our hearts has got to be here. See, and when we do that, when we do that, we'll do what verse 9 says. Put verse 9 on the screen for me. James 4, 9. Let there be tears for what you have done. See, we have anger for what others have done, but when do we have tears for what we have done? People offended. Offended at the crimes and atrocities of others. But bear no offense 
for your own crimes and your own sinfulness and your own heart issue. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. This is Bible mourning. This is what God wants from his children. We get our minds and our hearts and our hands right. We weep over our own sin. We grieve over our own sin. We stop with all the partying and the foolishness. And we take a closer look. Last verse, I'm going to give you verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And he will lift you up in honor. You want your cause to, to win? Humble yourself. You want right to prevail? Get on the side of right. There has to be mourning. There has to be mourning. There has to be this time of mourning. The condition is mourning. Weeping over sin, over suffering, over sorrow, and over shame. And the result is being comforted. I'm going to get me mine. Never got anybody but jail. Never got anybody but prison. I'm going to get me mine. I'm going to be heard. I'm going to have my say. Let the Lord have his say. I'm glad to see you in church, Ms. Melvin. Come on, I'm glad to see Goldsmiths in church today. Shouldn't have happened what happened. No mother should ever bury a child. That's the kind of stuff we ought to be crying over. I'm not saying don't cry over other things. But don't argue with me. I've had people argue with me this week. Well, yeah, he had a gun on him, but he wasn't shooting at him. Don't argue with me about somebody with a career rap sheet getting shot by a cop because he got out of a car, pointed a gun at a police officer, and got shot by a cop. Don't argue with me about that. And, and, and tell me that that's got you so sad and so weak and so weepy. But you ain't sad, weak, and weepy for nobody in this church who's going through real struggle and real pain. Now, I know that that's going to make somebody mad at me, and you ain't never going to come back to church again. But we got to have real love. We got to have real love. I believe that there needs to be sadness and mourning for everybody, every loss of life. Every life is important. And I believe that everybody who died unjustly, that those murderers should be executed, punished to the fullest extent of the law, and they should be treated with the same hate that they treated civilians. And I believe that. I'm always going to be for justice. But I see an evil plot working to divide God's children. I see an evil plot working to distract God's children Spend more time in your Bible than you spend on social media. Spend more time in your prayer than you spend on television. Spend more time really 
trying to comfort someone that you know than talking about how discomforted you are by situations that you're not actively in right now. Because once we get us together, then we can move forward and change the world. God took 11 people and he changed the world with them. But they were united on one thing. They were united on Christ. And they were fully dedicated to his kingdom. And they brought social justice. And they brought betterment of life and quality. And I believe that as long as we have life left in us, that God is still looking to use human beings to accomplish his cause. And if we will stop fighting with each other, if we will stop dividing with each other, and if we will do what the Bible says, we'll clean up our own porch, and we will choose love over hate and God over distraction, then I believe we can get a volume of our voice that will resonate so loud that we can bring change in this country. The same kind of change that the people who died before us were able to bring. Because God was the wind in their sails, not anger. God was the wind in their sails, not violence. God was the wind in their sails, not hatred. Because only hope is in God. And America needs God. But God has chosen to do what he does through his children. So we got to recognize we're not special. We're really poor in spirit. We don't have anything to offer God. But because he saved us, we want to do everything we can for his kingdom. And we want to mourn. We want to weep over our own sin more than complain about other people's circumstance. And then we can watch God do something extraordinary. Dr. King didn't get to see everything that he was believing to see. I may not get to see everything I'm believing to see. But I'm not going to give up just because the battle is long and my flesh is tired. I'm not going to give up just because the road is difficult and it's not going my way. I'm going to continue to live my life on my knees and ask God to use me and the people of this church as a light of hope and a light of love to a hurting world that needs Jesus. Pray with me. God, thank you for loving us the way you do. Thank you, God, for bringing comfort to us. God, you know the hurt that people are feeling. God, you know how some have been marginalized and disenfranchised. You know how people have been treated unjustly. Because you were treated unjustly. When the created turned on the creator, and they harmed you, and they spit on you, and they mistreated you. And you forgave them. So God, I pray that you'd help us to forgive our enemies. Forgive our family. Forgive our friends. Help us, God. 
to purify our own hands and our own hearts. Help us to seek you first over sports, over entertainment, over social justice. Help us to seek you more than anything. And help us to never grow weary in believing in you. You're the only true God. You're the only real God. You're the only God there is. And so we put our hope in you. God, we ask that you do bring comfort to those who have lost loved ones. To those who are hurting. Doesn't make sense. And we don't have the answers and we don't understand it. But we believe that you know what you're doing and we ask that you would help con- let us continue to walk in that belief. That our faith would be in you even when our world is upside down. You are the God of all comfort, God. I pray that you would comfort us and comfort the hurting, comfort the weary, and give us strength for our journey. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We truly appreciate the opportunity to pour into your lives each week. For more information or to donate to Abundant Life's ministry, please check out our website at www.alcfnow.org. Until next time, we pray that you will live abundantly.